Hey, this is Nikki McCrary, lead pastor at Eastern Heights Baptist Church in Statesboro, Georgia, where we exist to be a life-changing church. So as you listen, I pray that you will be encouraged in your walk with Christ and that your life will be forever changed as you grow in your relationship with Him. Good morning. It's good to see all of you. Thank you, praise team, for preparing our hearts for worship today. I want to thank all of you who are our special guests with us today. I know that many of you are visiting as family or maybe friends with uh, someone. We are glad that you are with us today, but maybe you're new in the community. You're looking for a church home. We're glad that you're with us today. There's a lot of great churches here, and you're with us, and so we feel uh, privileged to have you with us today, and we want to uh, encourage you to come back and visit with us again in the future. Well, a couple of things that uh, I want to uh, share with you if you are new to the air. First of all, let me, before I forget, welcome all of you who are watching online. I know that we have some that are sick, uh, some that are even in the hospital watching, so thank you for joining us today, and we look forward to you being back with us in person. Uh, a lot listen to uh, us by podcast, so welcome to all who are listening to God's Word today. But if you are new, a couple of things. You've probably seen the thermometers. You may be wondering what's going on. Maybe you've read the bulletin. We'll be voting next week on an important recommendation to enclose uh, the awning area of our children's building, which should... Uh, enable us to do our check-in a little bit more efficiently, and it'd be a little bit nicer on a day like this uh, to have that, and then also it will be a more secured area, which is important in the day and times that we live in concerning safety. Also, we are going to be beginning a new series in just a couple of weeks called The Fact Is, and what we're going to be talking about is some things that we may not like necessarily, but we can't change them. And so what does the Bible say about how we're to live in those kind of situations and be like Jesus, even though we can't change what we don't like about it? So we're going to be talking about the fact is here in just a few weeks, and I hope that you'll be back for that. Well, the last several months, we have been in uh, a book called Acts in the New Testament, and it's where the early Christians have been going through and establishing this thing called Christianity, and they've been building the first Church, and we've been able to kind of walk along with them and watch them overcome all of these obstacles that have been in their way, and yet they have overcome all of those obstacles. And so, we've entitled the series Unstoppable. Well, today is indeed Resurrection Sunday, so today's title is Unstoppable Hope because that's what Easter is all about, right? is hope. And so we're going to be over there in just a minute in Acts 23 and 24 if you want to go ahead and be turning there. But I want to start with a story today about a guy named Lawrence Ripple. Now some of you might remember this story. In 2016, he went back, uh, this guy did, he went into a bank in Kansas City and he took a gun, he put it in Teller's face, and he demanded a bag of money. And, of course, she was trained to give him the money, and she did. And then he said, now I want you to call the police. And then he went and calmly sat down over on a bench, and he waited for the police to arrive. This is a true story, okay? And some of you remember it. I think I, Y'all were shaking your head. Yeah, you remember that. And so everybody was perplexed, though, as to why he would do something that crazy. And so when the police showed up, they said, sir, what? What's going on here? He said, I'd rather spend the rest of my life in jail than to spend one more minute in that house with my wife. (laughs) True story. Oh, it gets better. Comes time for the trial. The judge sentences him to six months. House arrest. (laughs) I mean, 
It doesn't get any better than that, right? Well, someday we're going to all stand before a judge that's even wiser than that judge, and it ought to be the source of this reality that we have an unstoppable hope in Jesus Christ because one day we will face judgment with the hope that Jesus' resurrection is indeed true. And that's what we're reminded of as we watch this man's life by the name of Paul because he spent much of his life on trial and under arrest, right? So he's a pretty good guy to watch. But a little bit of background before we jump into our text today. You'll remember a couple weeks ago I told you that Paul had returned back to Jerusalem from being on his missionary journeys. And even though the Spirit had warned him not to go back to Jerusalem because he was going to suffer hardships there, he went anyway. So he got to the temple. Everything was going pretty good, but then he mentioned a couple of things about the Gentiles, and so it incited a riot among the people, so much so that they feared that they were going to kill Paul. And so the Roman soldiers, they show up, the police show up, and they rescue Paul from the mob. They take him, and they're about to put him in jail. And he says, well, wait a minute. And he says, I've got a crowd here. Let me preach this sermon real quick before I go to jail. And so that's exactly what he did. And he told them about meeting not dead Jesus from the cross, but the resurrected Jesus from the tomb on this road that we learned about last week called the Damascus Road in that experience that Paul had with the resurrected Christ. And then they got all stirred up, created another big scene, tried to kill him again, it's going on. But because Paul was a Roman citizen, he couldn't the story today. In Acts chapter 23, verse 6, he's taken before the Sanhedrin court for his day in court. Verse 6 says, Paul realized that some members of the high council were Sadducees and some were Pharisees. So he shouted something, and this was on purpose. Brothers, I am a Pharisee, as were my ancestors, and I am on trial because my hope is in the resurrection of the dead. So Paul identifies himself as being one of them. And then he gets to the heart of the matter, which is the resurrection of Jesus. And so as he begins to defend the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the mob gets all stirred up again. They get so violent, they have to take Paul back inside of the prison for a second time. Verse 7, it says, This divided the council, the Pharisees against the Sadducees. And he, he knew what he was saying. He knew he was fixing to stir it up. For the Sadducees say there is no resurrection or angels or spirits, but the Pharisees believe in all of these. So there was a great uproar. So here, here, here you've got two denominations, right? Religious denominations who are opposing one another. They're coming together and they're fixing to have it out. Some of the teachers of religious law who were Pharisees jumped up and began to argue forcefully because that's the way we do it when we're religious, right? Uh, we see nothing wrong with him, they shouted. Perhaps a spirit or an angel spoke to him. You don't know. As the conflict grew more violent, the commander was afraid they would tear Paul apart. So he ordered his soldiers to go and rescue him by force, because <laughs> he still won't preach, and take him back to the fortress. Verse 11. That night the Lord appeared to Paul and said, Be encouraged, Paul. Just as you have been a witness to me here in Jerusalem, you must preach the good news in Rome as well. So right there, Paul knows not only is he going to get out of this prison situation, but he's going to be going to Rome to preach the gospel. Well, while that's going on, the council, they're devising a plan. It's a ruse to get him out of the jail again so they can ambush him and kill him once again. But Paul's nephew, his nephew that's around this crowd of people that's coming up with this plan, 
he overhears it and he runs to tell Paul about it. I mean, this is getting to be a lifetime movie, right? Look at it with me, verse 19. So he, 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 his nephew hears about it, he runs to tell Paul. Paul tells the commander. The commander took his hand, led him aside and asked, what is it you want to tell me? Paul's nephew told the commander, some Jews are going to ask you to bring Paul before the high council tomorrow, pretending that they want to get some more information. Don't do it. Don't do it. There are more than 40 men hiding along the way to, ready to ambush him. They have vowed not to eat or drink anything, anything until they have killed him. I mean, it's getting serious. They are ready now, just waiting for your consent. Don't let anyone know you told me this, the commander warned the young man. Then the commander called two of his officers in order to get 200 soldiers ready to leave for Caesarea at 9 o'clock tonight. Also take 200 spearmen and 70 mounted troops. Provide horses for Paul to ride and get him safely to Governor Felix. Because see, if you're the Roman commander, the last thing you want to happen on your watch is for a Roman citizen to get ambushed and killed. And you know I, uh, how I get when I'm reading stories like this. I mean, I, I'm reading this story and I just kind of see it in my mind playing itself out. Here's Paul. They've got a bunch of horses together. It's nighttime. He gets on a horse to ride off into safety. He's been set free from the jail. He knows he's going to Rome eventually to preach because God's already taught him. So he's sitting on this horse. He's got this big smile on his face. You know, like, y'all not going to get me. I already know about your plan. And he probably gives a wink to his nephew, right? And so sure enough, that's what happens. He rides out of town safely. He gets to Governor Felix where he is accused of civil instability, causing a riot, which they didn't go for. But Paul knows this is not the real issue, not the issue at all. And so when Paul does get to speak, he does exactly what he did back in Jerusalem. He drops the R-bomb on him. All right, let's move forward to chapter 24 and look at it in verse 12. My accusers did not find me arguing with anyone at the temple, Paul said, or stirring up a crowd in the synagogues or anywhere else in the city. What y'all accuse me of never happened, okay? Then he says in verse 13, and they cannot prove to you the charges they are now making against me. They're making it all up. However... Listen to this. I admit that I worship the God of our ancestors as a follower of the way which they call a sect. So right here he admits to being a Christian and a follower of the resurrected Lord Jesus. Then he goes on to say, however, I believe everything that is in accordance with the law and that is written in the prophets. And I have the same Hope, I want you to circle that, in God as these men themselves have, that there will be a resurrection of both the righteous and the wicked. And so right here he says, you know, this isn't about politics. This is about theology. People aren't angry with me about what I'm saying in the streets. They're upset with what I'm saying about the resurrected Jesus. That's what they're all up in arms about because that's the man they killed and put in a tomb and thought it was all over. And now they're upset that I'm saying he's alive again. And just to make it clear, he goes on verse 20 and says, Ask these men here what crime the Jewish high council found me guilty of. Except for the one time I shouted, I am on trial before you today because I believe in the resurrection of the dead. And then it ends like this, verse 24. A few days later, Felix came back with his wife, Drusilla. Love those names, right? Felix, Drusilla. She was Jewish. Sending for Paul, they listened as he told them about faith 
in Christ Jesus. So here he gets to speak to the leader of the whole deal. As he reasoned with them about righteousness and self-control in the coming day of judgment, Felix became frightened. Go away for... After two years went by in this way, Felix was succeeded by Procreus. That you'll be back to hear the rest of this lifetime story. It is awesome, okay? But for now, this reality that I have had a personal encounter, not with dead Jesus, but with the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. That's why I do everything that I do. And so he dodges all the other side issues and he gets to the real issue at hand, which is the resurrected Jesus Christ. And that's where we are today. You see, Christianity rises and falls on your answer to that question. Is the resurrection real? Is it real? And I want you to understand that in particular on this day. Because see, it really is irrelevant whether Christianity is likable or not. We try to make it so likable, don't we? That's irrelevant. It's irrelevant whether Christianity is going to make our world a more moral and better place. It really is. But if the foundational claim of the Christian faith is not true, that Jesus rose from the dead, then all the other things that we say and do and the way we try to live the other 364 days out of the year is useless. It's useless. Christianity without a resurrection without the supernatural claim that Jesus rose from the dead, Christianity without that doesn't just lose the last chapter. It has no story at all. And it's just like every other religion out there. Paul put it this way in 1 Corinthians 15, 14. And if Christ has not been raised, then all of our preaching is useless. I'm just blowing wind up here. And your faith, the things you're doing, is useless. You see, it either happened or it didn't. That is the real issue, folks. I mean, what else could change Paul's life? What would take a man who persecuted Christians to the point of killing them to the place where he lived out his life being persecuted by those who wanted to kill him? What would do that? What would cause all these other people to go out and to take the gospel into the world against all odds to the point where they would suffer hardship and persecution and some of them would even be put to death. What would cause that? It's because they had witnessed the defeat of death in the resurrected Lord Jesus and so should it be with us today, folks. Peter put it like this in 1 Peter 1 verse 3, he says, All praise to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by His great mercy that we have been born again because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. That's what the whole thing is about. Paul's saying the day that I met Jesus is the day that I got living hope. And it is that unstoppable hope and the significance of Jesus' resurrection that is unparalleled to anything else out there, folks, that makes our hope unstoppable. So let's talk for just a minute about what all that means for us because that's great for Paul, right? That's great for all those guys back there. I mean, woo, boy, they did it up good. They were unstoppable. What about us? You see, first of all, we learned today that Jesus' resurrection means that God is on the throne. I mean, we live in a messed up world. Can I get an amen? I thought I could at least get one on that one, right? We live in a pretty messed up world. 
But I want to tell you, folks, God is on the throne. He's not up there wringing his hands. I'm going, oh, what am I going to do with all that's going on down there that's so bad? He's not doing that, folks. He is on the throne. I mean, look at his sovereignty in the text that we read. They're conniving. They're planning. They're scheming to kill the apostle Paul. And it's ruined by one eavesdropping nephew. Really? I mean, God has proven, has he not, throughout the book of Acts that we've studied, that he can deliver through supernatural means. We've seen it over and over, right? In Acts chapter 5, remember, they're in prison. Angel is sent. They walk out of the prison. In Acts chapter 12, Peter's in prison. God sends an angel. He walks out of the jail free. In Acts uh, 16, Paul and Silas, you remember, they're in prison. An earthquake comes. And a tree just didn't fall over like at the master's. The whole jail cell, all the doors flew open. The chains fell off of their hands and their feet, and they walked out free. And then here in chapter 23, I mean, those are some supernatural things, right? But then here in 23, Paul gets away because of an eavesdropping nephew. So what's my point here? here here's my point. Sometimes God delivers invisible, supernatural ways that are undeniable. But then sometimes he does it through invisible providence that if you're not paying attention, you'll miss that it was God altogether and he won't get any credit and you won't even realize what had happened. But in either case, whether it's supernatural, invisible, or it's invisible and God's behind it, God is behind it. God is on the throne, folks, because he is always large and in charge. Chapter 21, verse 30 of Proverbs says, No human wisdom or understanding, or plan can stand against the Lord. It doesn't matter how smart you are. You can be from NASA. You can't outsmart God. And it's with this confidence in the sovereignty of God that we should be living our lives, folks, in the resurrected hope that is unstoppable in Jesus Christ. So why didn't Paul bribe Felix for a period of two years? I mean, he could have got out two years earlier if he just bribed him. Well, he knew he was going to get out. He did not want to get in bed with this scumbag because he knew that God was in charge of his life and in charge of his future. So he just sat back and said, you know what, I'm going to trust in a higher throne than this one that this governor has because I'm not too big on him anyway. I'm going to trust in God because I've already been told God's taking me to Rome. You know, that's the way we ought to live. No matter what's going on around us, no matter how bad things get down here, we know that God is on the throne and that he is in charge of our future. God said it this way in Isaiah 46, 10. He said, only I... You see, I believe God is on his throne and I believe his resurrection proves it. I believe God does whatever he wants, folks, knowing that God is sovereign, that he's in control and it should help with all... Well, there's a second reality of the resurrection. That is, Jesus' resurrection means that fear is on the run. Fear is on the run. You know, I hear people all the time say, well, I'm an amillennialist. And I go, good for you. Some people say, well, you know, I'm a premillennialist. I go, good for you. Some say, well, I'm a postmillennialist. Some of you say, what are you even talking about? Okay, Google it, all right? But you know what I find when I talk to most Christians? They're pessimillennialists, all right? I mean, they're always nervous and fearful about everything in the future, and it's an indictment on our lack of focus on the real issue because, look, if Christ is raised from the dead, he is. If death has been defeated, why would we go around living so deflated?
Jerusalem and Rome would soon learn that you cannot intimidate a man that death can't hold. In fact, look back at verse 11 of chapter 23. That night the Lord appeared to Paul and said, Be encouraged, Paul. I know it's been tough. I know you've been on trial. I know you're in jail now. All this is going on. But just as you have been a witness to me here in Jerusalem, you must preach the good news in Rome as well. See, resurrection people are to be courageous people. You know why? Because fear changes teams. Now, what do you mean by that? Fear changes teams. See, if you didn't notice, Paul should be the one that's afraid here. He's the one whose life is on the line. He's the one that they're trying to kill. It's his future that's in the hands of some, you know, mean judge, governor, right? But Paul is filled with an unstoppable hope that just won't go away. And it is his case for the resurrection that made fear change teams. Instead of Paul being afraid, look who gets afraid. Back in chapter 24, verse 24. Sending for Paul, they listened as he told them about faith in Christ Jesus. As he reasoned with them about righteousness and self-control in the coming day of judgment, I want you to underline this, Felix became frightened. Felix became frightened. You see, the resurrected Jesus will put fear on the run. You don't have to be afraid of anything today because of the resurrected Lord. Well, there's a third thing that we don't talk about a whole lot, but we should talk about more, and that is this. Jesus' resurrection means that judgment is on the way. It does. It means judgment's on the way. See, Paul's telling Felix about believing in Jesus. And if you notice, for Paul, believing in Jesus meant talking about living right talked about having self-control in our lives. It talked about the coming judgment. Now, why would Paul throw in all with, along with that a judgment that's coming? Well, it's because Jesus talked about the judgment a lot. Matter of fact, if you take the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you put a dot by every place where Jesus mentions the word judgment, you're going to have a Bible full of dots, especially there in those first four Gospels. Because Jesus talked a whole lot about judgment and his resurrection proved it. Listen to what Jesus said in John chapter 5 verse 28. Jesus says, don't be so surprised. Indeed, the time is coming when all the dead in their graves will hear the voice of God's son and they will rise again. Those who have done good will rise to experience eternal life and those who have continued in evil will rise to experience judgment. I can do nothing on my own. I judge as God tells me. Therefore, my judgment is just because I carry out the will of the one who sent me, not my own will. You see, Jesus says, don't be surprised because every single person that has ever lived or is living now will one day rise from the dead and they will face judgment. You're going to face judgment. Each person will have to give an account. That's you today. That's you listening today, watching today. You will give an account of this gift that's called life that you are living right now here on this earth. And to deny that is to deny the whole reason for Jesus' resurrection. Isn't that what he said? The hope of the resurrection is that we too will overcome death one day. Well, overcoming death means we'll face a judgment. And I think a lot of people would like to believe there is nothing after this life because they actually fear having to face a judgment for the way they live their life while here on this earth. But see, Jesus, Jesus came to prepare us 
for Judgment Day. And he did that through his death and his resurrection. So when we hear that judgment is coming as Christians, we shouldn't be filled with dread. We should be filled with that unstoppable hope that, yes, judgment is coming. Several years ago, Calvin Coolidge, he was vice president, so he was presiding over the Senate. Like it happens often in the Senate meetings, it got heated one day. And so, parents, pardon this. You can explain it to your children later. But one of the senators turned to another senator and said, you can go to hell. And the senator turned to Coolidge and said, did you hear what he said to me? Coolidge said, I sure did, but you know what? I've been reading the rule book, and it says you don't have to go. You know, to hear that judgment day is coming as Christians should fill us with hope. Here's why. Because Jesus' death on the cross took care of any judgment for us. And the verdict has come back for you and I who have that hope in Jesus and what he did on the cross. The verdict is not guilty through Jesus Christ. And you see the great lie that most people believe is that if there is a judgment one day, if then what I'm going to do is I'm going to stand before God who loves everybody and I'm going to tell him I was a pretty good person. I wasn't perfect. Far from that. I wasn't perfect, but I was a pretty good person. Matter of fact, I was a lot better than a lot of people I hung around with. Okay? Listen, do not try to make that case before God because nobody's going to get into heaven because they sin less than somebody down here on earth. That's not the way it works, folks. The only way you can be saved is to understand that God judges you sin as your righteousness when you stand before God's judgment one day and it's your faith in Him that His sacrifice on the cross was enough, that His sacrifice on the cross is what's able to make you right with God. That's what His resurrection proves. You know what else it proves? It proves that one day there is going to be a judgment. There's going to be a judgment. And one day, because of the resurrection, everything is going to be made right that went wrong. Jesus is coming back. And the fact that he's coming back, that he came back from the dead, is proof that someday he's going to put everything back right that death took from us. And death messed everything up. And it's touched everything. And so that's why judgment that's coming is good. Because we live, like I said earlier, in a pretty bad, messed up world. And so even when things are bad, I want you to listen to Paul one more time. In Romans chapter 8, verse 18. Yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. So yes, I'm not putting down the fact that things are pretty rough. Maybe for some of you more than others right now. But the glory that we're going to have one day because of the resurrection... Is going to be so much better. Verse 19. For all creation is waiting eagerly for the future day when God will reveal who his children really are. Against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse, but with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And we believers also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory, and He is a big help. For we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights 
as his adopted children, including the new bodies he has promised us. We were given this hope when we were saved. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad you have the hope of the resurrection? You see, judgment is coming, and I can't wait. You know why? Because it means that the curse is going to finally be cursed. It means that death is going to finally be dead. And it means that the world will be as God intended it to be in the very beginning. It's going to be perfect once more. So don't let anything stop your hope. Even though we live in a world where it seems like there's a mass shooting every week, where there's storms that take people's lives, where there are terrorist acts and the political climate is so toxic you don't even want to talk about it. And then when you get down on the personal level, some of us, I mean, we have some health issues that we're struggling with. Some of your loved ones have health issues that they're struggling with. We have relationships that we're struggling with. It's eating us up. We have people that we lose, that we love. And it's hard. This life is filled with trouble. And so here's the thing. In a world like that that we're struggling to live through each and every day, just like Paul, you and I are on trial as we try to live that life out. And here is what we're on trial for. Do we believe that the resurrection is for real? Do we? Are we resigned to death or are we defined by hope? Because the way some of us live our lives, it's like we're, we're defeated already. Death is going to take us. Why try? Instead of being defined by hope. So what's the takeaway today? Simply this. Are you living a life that gives testimony to the resurrection? By that I mean, are you living a life that says, I believe in Jesus? I believe that he has conquered the grave and that death has been defeated. So I have an unstoppable hope. And I can tell you the reason that I live like the way that I live is because of the hope I have in this crazy evil world we live in and His name is Jesus. That's why I live the way I live. See, I've told you all morning that Jesus is alive. The resurrection is real. And because of that, everything that's been said here this morning is true and you can live with a hope that no other religion can give you. And it'll be life-changing not only for you but for every single person around you. Because it is the resurrection of Jesus Christ that gives us all hope in this evil world. So I pray that you will share the hope of the resurrection with everyone, not just today, because look, our faith is not useless, folks. It's real. The resurrection is real. Jesus is alive, and so we need to live like that every single day, not just Resurrection Sunday, every day. I pray that this message of hope has encouraged you today, but not only today, but it will encourage you in the days, weeks, and months ahead as we strive to live with the hope that is unstoppable. And his name is Jesus. Would you pray with me this morning? Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. On this Resurrection Sunday, there may be one here today. You didn't plan for it to happen, but God's Spirit's been speaking to you today. You realize that Jesus died on the cross for your sins. So today, you would like to ask Jesus to come into your heart to forgive you of all of your sins, to save you even right now. 
If that's your prayer, I just ask that you silently just pray it in your heart right now. Ask Jesus to come into your heart and save you right now. And then as we end in just a moment, as you leave, I'll be over by the exit. I want you to come and share that with me. As you prayed that prayer, I'd like to talk with you just a little bit more. Maybe there's those here today or watching or listening today, and you realize that you've been living without hope. You've been letting all the troubles of the world get the best of you, but today you're recommitting your life to living with the still alive. And all God's people said, now, in just a moment, I remind you to kind of watch out for those, especially if you're a little later uh, uh, leaving somewhere. And I don't want to be finding them until next Easter, okay? So look hard. But uh, before we do that, uh, we have uh, a couple here today. They just moved here from um, uh, Griffin, Georgia, if you know where that is. And it's the Bias family. I'm going to ask Wayne and Casey. If y'all would, just come right up here and stand right here beside me real quick. Uh, they're coming. They have moved here. This is Nancy Connor's mom and dad, and I know y'all are thrilled to have them here. Uh, their story is just amazing how God brought them here. They weren't going to be here for another year, and then God says, no, I want you here now. And, they, and the doors opened up so much for them, just one right after another. They said, you know what? If all this happens, the first Sunday we can get to that church over there at Eastern Heights, we're going to join that church. And so we explained to them, we're going to tell everybody y'all want to join, but y'all got to go through our membership class. And they said, we'll go through whatever class we need to. Amen. And so they said, we're not saved to serve. We're, uh, see it, we're saved to serve. So we want to get involved. And so they're coming today, Wayne and Casey, to say that they're going to be taking our membership class and they're going to be involved here. And what a great day to do it on Easter. Amen. Let's welcome them into the church family. God bless you. Thank you. I'll make you see. All right, well, let's all stand together. Let's worship together. Again, thank you, praise team, for preparing us today for worship, leading us in worship. Lead us out today. God bless you for being here. Happy Easter. We hope you were encouraged by this message today. If you would like more details on our church, please visit us at ehbcstatesboro.org.